1: Well, I fully realize that this looks like a deleted scene from the Blair Witch Project, but I promise this is a football podcast that's going on today. We're talking New York Giants. We promised ourselves that we'd record two episodes today, even if the uh, second one we are starting at 1026 in the evening on a cool Thursday night in July. Uh, We're powering through. I have no no idea, honestly, how long this is going to take because there's a lot to go over at the New York Giants but I'm excited nonetheless. Can't take more than an hour and a half or we won't get to in today. Uh, it's 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 been a week to <laughs> yes. say the least and It's
0: been a week, it's been oh. a day and now we just get to roll through another one but at least we have a fun team to talk about.
1: Yes, and and honestly, uh you know, me getting sick and then all the internet issues internet issues we had and the the constant Needing to drive a half an hour to go to a public library to upload assets to our editors and, you know, the flight delays and everything that's gone wrong this week kind of worked in our favor because if none of that happened, then we would have recorded the Giants episode before the Saquon drama, quote unquote drama, resolved itself with his new deal before Andrew Thomas got his deal. Yep. Uh, You know, before training camp opened and we got, you know, some solid looks at the rookies. Like there's there's a lot that's happened in
0: Giants land that luckily we now get to talk about. Yeah, it all gets packed into this episode. So we should probably get rolling, get through this and uh, make our midnight cutoff. Jay, Autumn, Anthony, please roll the intro. All right,
1: welcome to Giants Day, everybody. It's the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. That is my lovely co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, We are sitting on the deck in the pitch black in front of the Puget Sound out here in Washington State. I promise there's a gorgeous body of water behind us that you can't see, but you can see the underdog sign, which conveniently got
0: delivered yesterday. Yeah, some things again, if we'd finished this on time, wouldn't have been here. Yeah, see? Everything Happy shitty happens for a reason for yeah. us, for
1: some reason. Uh, luckily, though, you know, I think we, we saved the two best divisions for last, NFC East and AFC East. Well, maybe not best, but most entertaining. Uh, you know, all four of these teams are fun to talk about, the Giants included. You know, they're a, a playoff team, uh, a team that probably will make the playoffs again. And even though they... Uh, is it fair to say that they maxed out last year, but they're better now, so their new max is higher than their old max, even though technically their max is
0: still the same as a playoff team? Does that make sense? Jay's going to have to put up that graphic of all the math <laughs> equations and the arrows. Uh, you just worked yourself into a hole, but most of it was true. What Brian Dable did last year was miracle work. None, Nobody expected that the Giants would be as tough and as competitive down the stretch. They thought that they would give some people some games and that they would improve, which they did, but not to that level. He was still trying to make a platinum result with tinfoil ingredients in a lot of areas, and he did really damn well. He had this team playing and playing hard, and again, they played their way into the postseason and won. Yeah. Again, if you'd taken odds on that, at well, the beginning of the season
1: depends odds on beating the vikings in the playoffs for its <laughs> odds on winning a playoff game are two very
0: different things because everybody saw the winning as the vikings coming a mile away at the end of the year <laughs> but i'm talking about at this time say when we were talking about this team last year at this oh, time yeah we did we not. were like they'll be better they'll be improved how could they not be after the joe judge era like dable's gonna bring stability and a professional program they're gonna tick off a few more wins it's a building year but they still need a lot of pieces Temper your expectations, and by mid year, they were giving everybody a game, had stacked a good number of wins, and people started to say, You know, it was the Jim Moore thing playoffs, (laughs) like playoffs, (laughs) like maybe. And then they made it, and you know, they made it to
1: the divisional round or divisional round. God, Brett, words, 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 uh, and you know, they unfortunately got spanked, but it, it, I think that was just. It was an accurate representation of, of where they were, which was, hey, they're well-coached and talented enough to get to the dance, but they weren't talented enough to win all the way. Um, you know, Philly obviously was. They made it to the Super Bowl. They were one of the most talented teams in the league. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a stepping stone year of like, hey, we're respectable. We're a real football team. We got a bunch of dudes. We're just like a year or two away from being where Philly is right now. And I think that this past offseason, they they took another step. And again, are they uh, an NFC championship favorite for me? No, but I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they're at least going to make the divisional round because they do have a lot of good pieces and they have a great coaching staff. And I think the Giants fans should be happy with that. Like They are just progressing year by year, just like Philly did. Right. You know, Philly started out where it's like we're just moving this year by year until now. Super Bowl is the expectation. Yeah. Giants are probably going to be there in a couple of years.
0: Feels to me like they skipped a step last year. I was expecting them to take one and it felt like they took two. And now with continued additions, it just feels like they're going to build on that momentum again in 2022. They were nine, seven and one. They were third in the division, but really close to second. They easily could have been second in their division home record of five, three and one road record of four and four last five games stumbled a little bit down the stretch two and three i would expect that to at least turn around to sort of three and two or maybe even four and one this year and have them finish a little bit stronger but again i i think we expected them to take you know half that much of a leap and they took the whole damn thing in one year so again tons of credit to dable and that staff that we did pump up a little bit in this podcast. Last year, we were excited about the team he had assembled and that it wasn't all from his tree or his discipline or people he'd coached with. He was looking to assemble different points of view, and that paid off for them down the stretch. They were a very creative team. Um, in terms of EPA per play, we talk about rushing offense, passing offense, rush defense, and pass defense, and then points scored and points allowed, and that gives us our effectiveness summary. Rushing offense, third in league, they got it from Saquon. They got it from Daniel Jones. They got it from every area and you know, jet sweeps, toss passes. They were able to run the ball creatively and extremely well. I think that league is is easily reflective of the rushing offense they put together. It was one of the most fun Offenses in the league to watch run the football passing offense 13th very respectable a major step up for daniel jones in his development we had predicted again that he would take a step under dable just like josh allen had when dable was in buffalo i think daniel jones played his very best football last year and that's yeah. not just the playoff game i i do
1: by the way i want to i i, I want to kind of touch in on daniel jones specifically that was his best year he did take a step forward. Mm-hmm. He's still not all the way there. No. And I think his contract reflects that in terms of how many real years the contract is, as well as the money, you know, because you're seeing, you know, Justin Herbert just came down with 52.5. Mm-hmm. Jalen got 51.5, I think it was. Lamar got like 52. Like they're all, you know, 50 plus, right? So I, I think his contract reflects that of a quarterback of like, you have talent, you're coachable, you're smart, we think you're on the right track, but we still need a a, a a little bit more until we give you that type of contract, right? They believe in him, they think he can get there, you know. I, I think under Dable he absolutely could. But I, I kind of I push back on on the narrative that like he's in that same category. Oh. As those guy he's he's not. But I also think that he is ascending. And I think both things can be true. And it, you know, when it comes to Giants fans, they always get on me for being quote unquote anti Daniel Jones. And it's like I'm not anti Daniel Jones. Like I'm just being realistic about where he is in the quarterback ecosystem here. Like you can you can say that somebody's ascending while also acknowledging that they're only halfway up the hill or three quarters up the hill, right? Doesn't mean that he's not gonna get all the way there. It's just let's not Let's not pretend that he's all the way there yet. Like, he's fine for now. Mm -hmm. We give him, you know, some better pass-catching targets, which he has now. Like, the receiving core actually is fucking deep now. (laughs) You know, we got Darren Waller there. Like, wants a great receiver. So it's like, okay, you know, we improved the protection. We improved the weapons over the last two off-seasons. Got him a better coach over the last two off-seasons. Now the real evaluation begins We wish the real evaluation wasn't costing, you know, 40 plus million dollars a year, but it is what it is. Now they can really see what they have here. And I I think that there is a legitimate shot that that he is the long term answer. But I also think the contract they gave him reflects that even they're not entirely sure yet.
0: I think we've been honest about Daniel Jones all the way along. We were honest about how we felt about him coming out. We were honest about how he played in the early years with the Giants. Again, not all his fault. He didn't get all the support he needed either from the coaching side or the roster side, but he didn't play great either. He played okay, and we said he's okay, but he's not all that. He certainly hasn't reached the top of his potential. When Dable came on as coach, we said we we don't think he's done. We think he can take another step. He took a step, and you're right. They said, we're going to acknowledge that you took a step, that we believe you can lead the football team, and that we want to see more out of you. So I think we've been realistic with Daniel Jones all the way along, and we're realistic now in saying he's playing his best football, he's not done getting better yet, and we'll see where the ceiling is.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I I think there's... There's room for nuance when talking about football, folks. There is. It's perfectly
0: fine to have a nuanced opinion about a very controversial quarterback. It is tough to find nuance these days, but you're right. Uh, We will try and inject some of it into the conversation. In terms of the defensive side of the football, rush defense, this was troublesome for the Giants. They were 31st in the league in stopping the run in terms of EPA per play. Pass defense, 19th. Okay, but not great. Um, they're going to need improvement in both areas to be more competitive. It's amazing they made the playoffs with those ranks. Typically, if you can't get yourself off the field versus the run, uh, you're going to get run into the ground. And they found a way to win uh, despite that, I'll say. And they've certainly taken some steps both in the draft and free agency to try and remedy that. Uh, But it was an Achilles heel for them last year. In terms of points scored and points allowed, dead metal on both. They were 16th and 16th. So when you're talking about the Giants and points, all you have to do is remember the number 16. Points scored? 16. Points allowed? 16. Point differential? 16. I, I do want to uh,
1: one note, by the way, and Giants fans already know this because they, they live through this hell. Um, when you look at the rush EPA being 31st and you're like, how is that even possible when you have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and, you know, Aziz Ojalary and Kayvon Thibodeau, like, that's your front four. Like, how is it possible to be 31st? Well, when you're at one point last year, when your two starting linebackers are Tay Crowder and Austin Calitro, guess what? You're not going to be able to stop the run that well. So they they desperately needed upgrades at linebacker, which they have now because uh, you got Micah McFadden, who's a, Uh, a guy they took last year who we're big believers in, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he started getting snapped last year, and they realized, like, oh, okay, he's pretty damn good, or at least has potential to be pretty damn good, so he's slotted in as a starter right now. And uh, Bobby Okereke, who they brought in as a free agent, we'll get to a little bit later, but, you know, I just want to emphasize, like, personnel was a little bit of an issue early on in the year uh, for their run defense in terms of who they actually had playing linebacker for them. It got better as the year went on, and it should be even better this year because of uh, the differences in who they have at linebacker there.
0: It takes a village to stop the run. Yes. And they had (laughs) half a village. So uh, we take those numbers, all of our effectiveness summary league ranks, all six of them, add them up, divide by six, and we get a bootleg power score of 16. 16. So points scored, 16. Points allowed, 16th. Points differential, 16th. Bootleg power score, 16. Well, technically 16.3. True, 16.3, which is 12th overall. 12th overall is a score, again, that I don't think anybody would have predicted for the Giants preseason if we'd said, hey, this is going to be the 12th most effective football team in the NFL. I think a lot of people would have pushed back on that prior to Dable's first year. Now, after Dable's first year, I think there's Giants fans out there saying, this team is gonna to be top ten. Yeah, and they they beat up on on the Giants in the
1: playoffs. Who they beat up on the Giants in the playoffs? I'm sorry, they beat up on the Vikings
0: in the there playoffs. There we go. That would have so been a they thing.
1: finished as one of you know technically they finished as one of the top twelve teams in the playoffs. Technically, right? That's
0: right. So it counts. Yeah, no yeah, it's bootleg power score rack up another one for the accuracy of bootleg power score. It is reflective of the fact that this was a very good football team. They had their warts. Rush defense was not great, but they found a way to win. Uh, looking at the schematic information, which
1: you know we use this to kind of give even more context to the EPA numbers, and we brought up the the personnel issues they had at linebacker and and why they kind of addressed that this offseason, but. Uh, from a schematic perspective, some of the numbers that give even more context on top of that. Um, if you look at their coverages, it's like the most wink Martindale defense <laughs> you've ever seen. Uh, they were first in the league in terms of calling zero at nine point three percent, which is a psychotic amount of cover zero. That means like one in almost one in ten one in ten calls. plays. out of like 60 snaps in a game, you're calling zero six times. Like, that's insane. It's absolutely insane, but, you know, Wink don't care. Uh, They were sixth in cover one at about 25%, which is a lot. Uh, They pretty much ignored the existence of cover two. They were 31st in that. They were 24th in cover three, because if we're playing single high, we might as well just play man coverage. Um, They were seventh in quarters, so uh, they did use quarters quite a bit in Mm -hmm. terms of you know, handling trip stuff, handling bunches, anything where you really don't want to get caught in a man look because it's so easy to kind of cross up DBs and either rub guys or you know, kind of use switch releases and stuff just to, to screw with angles. They would just sort it out with quarters. So they were 7th and quarters, and they were 12th and quarter, quarter, half for that same reason. Um, but you know, if it was red zone... You know, very similar to, to we talk about Washington. It was red zone, and we're backed up against the goal line. We're going to call zero and bring pressure. If it's third down and, you know, we're in shot territory and we're trying to keep you out of field goal range, you know, we're, we're calling zero, right? We're going to try to knock you out of it. So they're a very aggressive defense, very man coverage heavy defense with little accents of quarters <laughs> and quarter, quarter, half. And it's, it's very, very Wink Martindale. Uh, I would also say that their blitz percentages were also very, very Wink Martindale. <laughs> they were first in terms of bringing pressure in third mm. and short at 80%. So 80% of all of their third and short situations for the entire year, which is a lot. There's dozens and dozens of those throughout the season. 80% they're bringing five-plus guys trying to get tackles for loss. Uh, third and medium. 53.3% bringing blitzes. That's 5th in the NFL, 3rd and 7-plus, about 49%. Uh, that was 3rd in the NFL. So they just blitzed and blitzed and blitzed. Like, the fact that their lowest number was, like, half. It's really indicative of, of the type of defense they are on 3rd down. Um, their overall stunt percentage was 32%, which is 29th, which also kind of tracks because usually blitz-heavy defenses – don't stunt that much because when you're bringing that many extra bodies, you don't really have space to then also have a bunch of like loopers and shit moving around. People run into each other. So blitz-heavy defenses tend to not stunt because they don't have the space to. Um, So again, looking at this defense overall, very aggressive, very boomer bust, and I also think that kind of played a little bit into the run defense because if you run away from a pressure, and those linebackers don't get there
0: uh-huh.
1: just because of the nature of the defense. Like, if you have defensive linemen slanting one way, right, and you're bringing a nickel, and they, and they catch you in it, right, they catch you in a blitz, and they're hitting you, you know, with that left hook, and you don't have an answer for it unless that linebacker gets there, and your linebackers take Crowder, and can't get there, you're kind of fucked. So I think that was a huge... Uh, a huge problem with their run defense was just getting caught in stunts or not getting caught in stunts getting caught in pressures like that and it's just kind of the nature of the beast for them and really the only solution is get better players
0: high risk high reward defensive strategy and it counts on those guys winning too yeah you have to own your gap and if you get your shoulders turned and everybody else is coming the runner's gone. Yeah. And that's going to create some inefficient run plays, you know, inefficient run defense plays. And that happened for the Giants. And it was very much live by the sword and die by the sword. And they did both. Frequently. <laughs>
1: uh, looking at their offensive stats, this was this one's definitely going to require a lot of context. Cause how how things are charted can vary depending on who's doing the charting and how they see a certain concept, right? Uh, so something I found interesting, just because, I mean, I I did a deep dive into how this run game works myself, right? I did a film room episode on it, um, you know, talking about a lot of the adjustments they made in their outside zone scheme and how they used, you know, kind of fold blocks and which is, think of it like a mini pull, right? Uh, in terms of being able to cut a defense in half with outside zone. And they call it outside zone quite a bit, much to my surprise when I get to the numbers. And it's like, oh, it's a 10% outside zone team. It's 30th in the league. But they're first in pin and pull. And I was like, wait a minute. That also doesn't seem totally accurate. Like, they did call a bunch of, you know, uh, like G lead. They called a bunch of, like, crack toss. You know, that, that type of stuff. But I... I have a suspicion that a lot of their outside zone calls got charted as a pin and pull because of how they block it with their guard and center front side (laughs) where the guard will like pin the nose and the center will wrap around that guard. Uh, and get front side on it. So it's still outside zone, but they're basically just giving their guys the best possible angles to run it. And so it looks like a pin and pull scheme, kind of, but it's really outside zone. It's just a different way of running outside zone. And we see that around the league. It's not like a new thing, but like the Giants really heavily leaned, leaned into it. So I just think a lot of their outside zone calls maybe got charted uh, differently than than I would have charted it. So just kind of take it with a little bit of a grain and salt, grain of salt. But um, you know, again, not that big of a deal. Very nerdy. I was going <laughs> to say point here. We have fallen we are straight deep in the weeds, straight
0: into the <laughs> esoteric weeds on run games.
1: <laughs> a lot of people shut off this episode, like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" But I
0: had him right up until <laughs> he started talking about folds.
1: But you know, just again, I I want to I want to I wouldn't be myself if I didn't point that out. True. Um, inside zone, they were sixth which, you know, considering how much they were in the gun and, you know, how much zone read-type stuff they were doing with Daniel Jones to make use of his legs, which, like, the vast majority of read-type plays are inside zone. Uh, So, again, that kind of checked out. They were 21st in duo. They were 14th in power, uh, which I think... I'm trying to remember the game it was where they ran power with Saquon, like... It was like eight times in a row something like that. I feel like that game alone probably pumped those numbers up a little bit. It was fucking hilarious. Straight
0: gut check. (laughs) And we've said this several times, uh, even in this series, that offensive play callers are... Psychopaths, and if they find a weakness, all they're gonna do is drive the knife into it.
1: It was literally every play for like a whole drive, and they mm-hmm. couldn't stop it. No, they I just—I gotta find which game that was. They
0: just kept rolling it and challenging the other team to come up and shut them down, and they weren't able to, so they just ran it back, and it was <laughs>
1: savage. Uh, they were also twenty-second encounter. Uh, they were fi- uh, sorry, sixth in draw, and like I mentioned, they were first, quote-unquote, in uh, in pin and pole. So a uh, pretty diverse run game here, but obviously with some staples that they leaned on more than others, like inside zone uh, and and a lot of the the pin and pole slash outside zone family. I would imagine we're going to still see a lot of that this year, A, because Saquon's back, so you can, yeah. uh, and Daniel Jones is back, so you can. And, you know, don't fix what ain't broke. You were third in rushing EPA last year. Just do all that and more.
0: Coaching staff is the same. What you talk about in terms of personnel, largely the same, with one major change from the draft, which should make it even better. So I would expect to see a lot of that with some more wrinkles. I think one of the things is that we will see is a very similar distribution that might be disguised different ways different alignments to bring the same things, um, same types of runs from different looks because they have a very um, capable piece that they've added on the offensive line when it comes to these kind of runs, and I have a feeling they're going to want to use their new toy. Well,
1: you know, I, I wanted to save that for the draft section, but I feel like now is actually kind of an appropriate time to bring it up because I mentioned, you know, the outside zone versus pin and pull stuff, how they ran outside zone, where you know, let's say we have the nose shade to the front side, and we we're not a hundred percent sure that our center can win that by himself. So we're just gonna pin it with the guard, fold the the center around, mm-hmm. not not play games with it. We're just pinning and we're pulling, right? If you have John Michael Schmitz, who was the best zone blocker in this class because of his absolutely absurd quickness, his torque, his play strength, you know, it's. I don't want to say he's Creed Humphrey 2.0, but they had very similar grades for me coming out, right? And and he's just an absolute badass. And I think getting him means that you don't have to run outside zone that way. You can. Sure. He could still be an absolute monster if you're just letting him go free and pull and find some linebacker in open space so he can kill him. But you don't necessarily – have to. So you can run that same concept against a variety of fronts, but also run it a variety of ways against the same front. So you're not entirely sure what's coming as a defensive lineman. Again, getting deep into the weeds here, but if you have a center who is equally good pulling, as well as just taking that bucket step and, you know, by his second step, getting it through on the, on the play side hip of the defensive lineman and just getting up there inside the armpit, torquing him around, doing all the reach block shit that, you know, offensive linemen love to do. If he can do both of those things, all of a sudden you can have the guard in a bunch of different splits without giving stuff away. You know, you can have uh, their depths, you're know, playing around with depths without giving stuff away. Um you can do it from different formations without giving stuff away. You can do it from different motions without giving stuff away. Like all the little things that defensive linemen look at when they're cluing in on what concept are they running here? What block should I be looking for off the snap so I can read it and react and do my technique. If in his head, he's like, Hmm, that guard is four inches wider than he should be. What's going on here? I'm, Are they reach blocking me? Are they pinning me? Just that extra little hesitation because they have a center that can do anything. I know that sounds like the stupidest detail in the world.
0: I guarantee you it matters. It's absolutely not the stupidest detail in the world. and It's very much what I was leaning towards with uh, (laughs) superficial depth without diving into the weeds is when I'm talking about different formations and different abilities. It is to build that half second of hesitation to say, hey, we've run this on you three times now from three different formations, so which one is it? Yeah, And you don't know, it slows the defense down in a considerable way. That might only be a half a tick, a half a beat, a half a second. That's considerable with how quick everybody is in the NFL. So the addition of one player in a key role, and center is absolutely a key role in an entire offense, but in a run game for sure. And when he has the capabilities of a guy like John Michael Schmitz, you're opening up the entire tool chest to say, we can do kind of anything from almost anything. And that's very difficult to defend. I,
1: I just want to emphasize that football is a very complicated sport. And sometimes it literally is so granular. That defensive linemen are looking at the angles of the outside foot of a tackle. They're trying to see
0: exactly which toe they're putting their weight on. Whether or not they're weighting the ball of their foot, whether or not they're rocking onto one heel, inside yes. heel or outside heel. These are the kind of things the defensive line will tell you that they look at. And if you can have an offensive lineman set up in a very similar way and perform a different role for the, what is essentially the same play to run it, like you said, two different ways, whether or not you use that inside combo or you don't, you have it straight up one-on-one, that breeds doubt in defenders. And if you can do that, you can be a lot more successful in your offense.
1: It's an incredible advantage to have, uh, and we'll get to John Michael Schmitz a little bit later, more. But um, I just I can't fucking believe they got him that late. It was, it was an insane steal. Uh, All right, passing offense overview, which John Michael Schmitz will also be involved in, for sure. (laughs) Presumable starting center Uh, play action percentage, they were thirty one percent last year, about sixth in the NFL, which tracks. They were a very play action heavy offense that that's a number i expected average time to throw for a not only a mobile quarterback like daniel jones but a mobile quarterback that i i don't know if he led the league the entire way through but i remember looking like 75 or 80% of the way through the year and he was uh, leading the league by far at that point in bootlegs which is a very long developing like you know we're we're faking it we're rolling out we're buying time we're we got three levels of the defense we're reading like that's typically a long progressing play. So between those two things, average time to throw with 3.03 seconds, fourth quote unquote slowest in the NFL totally checks out doesn't mean that Daniel Jones holds the ball too long. It's just the nature of the offense that he's in and that he's very mobile and can extend things. Uh, air yards percentage meaning the percentage of yards that come, through the air rather than after the catch. They were 24th, uh, which kind of lends itself to them being a very yak-based passing game last year. Again, with a lot of those bootlegs that he's throwing to the flats and just saying, you got space, go handle it. And they did. Uh, 31st in average depth of target. Again, hitting the flats (laughs) over and over and over again. Big-time throw percentage, 1.2%. I think Josh Allen was – First at like 7.6%, something like that. So uh, that was uh, 32nd in the league, so dead last in the league in big-time throw percentage, and they were 30th in total yards per attempt. So again, not not great numbers here uh, from a passing game perspective, but then when you look at the EPA numbers where they were 13th, and you're trying to, like, rationalize those two things in your head. Like, how, how are all of these stats objectively not great while their EPA was great? And I think you just have to remember, again, the structure of the offense. Mm-hmm. It was very play-action heavy, very bootleg heavy, very efficiency focused of, like, just get yards. Move us forward. Don't go down the field if you don't think you can hit it. Don't go down the field if you don't think your guy can catch it (laughs) because we would rather get seven yards after the catch and set up a second and three than have to deal with a second and ten because you're taking a shot that we don't think we can complete for whatever reason. Now, full disclosure, there were absolutely some shots that I saw on film where I'm like, Danny, come on, take it. It's right there. There was a lot, multiple times a game where I was like, please throw the ball down the field. But he just didn't trust it. And I think he was told by the coaches, like, if you don't trust it, don't do it. Yeah. Like, we will, we will find a way. We will run the ball. We will generate yards after catch. We will do whatever we can to get down the field. But set us up for success by just moving the ball forward in any way you can, even if it's four yards at a time. And that's what he did. So we hope that with a – better stable of weapons this year and ideally better pass protection this year that he will trust it more and he will let it rip. I think that's kind of the one thing that is still kind of missing for him to kind of take that next step. And I I do sincerely hope that he does that. But um, if we're just looking at last year's numbers, it's pretty easy to see why, why the passing game was efficient,
0: but not explosive. He did what he was told. He was told to do this and he did it well. And they said, do this, trust us, believe us, and we will build off of this. And in being told to do certain things, he was also very clearly told to not do certain things (laughs) unless he was absolutely certain because the risk wasn't worth it. And in short, they kept the gloves on Daniel Jones. And by the end of the year, he maybe kept the gloves on himself a little too much because he'd learned that system possibly even a little bit too well. And I, too, saw those opportunities, and you're sitting there going, come on, cut it loose, cut it loose, cut it loose. And you could tell that he he had been well coached, that if you are not like 85% sure on both counts that you can throw it and they can catch it, don't do it. Do something else. Do not make that mistake. We would much rather have the less result and the less risk that's how we're going to build this offense and this is a very clear picture of him doing what he was told and the epa number tells a equally clear picture that it worked
1: yeah i mean again they didn't make the playoffs by accident they were a good football team they were a well-coached football team i just really would like to see some chunk plays this year that's (laughs) that's all i'm hoping for that's what's next Looking at uh, that coaching staff, by the way, that we've been praising pretty much this whole episode, Mm -hmm. uh, the power structure is a good one. And it's been a long time for Giants fans since they had a good one. And we knew going into last year, we we felt pretty good about it. But seeing how quickly it all came together to go from objectively horrible situation to one of the most promising stories in the league. Um I think it's a testament to to how talented this staff is, how how good the front office is, or at least what we we what we think Joe Shane is, right? Um I think that I think the Giants are in really, really good hands. And I I almost feel sad because I feel like they're gonna get plucked <laughs> Quite frequently, uh, you know, like what we see with Sean McPay and Kyle Shanahan, where they just get poached all the time. I feel like the Giants are going to be one of those teams that gets poached a lot over the next few years because they have a bunch of really
0: good coaches. Credit where credit's due starts at the top with uh, senior vice president and general manager, Joe Shane. He has done a very good job of helming a very quick turnaround it does not feel like they've only been there a year and that's it head coach Brian Dable we've talked about him a lot already the offensive coordinator who has a heavy load in this offense is Mike Kafka came from Kansas City to work with Dable. he's probably the first one on the docket to get poached yeah um I think he was probably on some short lists last year I probably felt he wasn't ready after only one year. He better get his little tablet ready with all the stuff that he's going to have for interviews because he's going to get them this year. In terms of defensive coordinator Don Martindale, known as Wink, we've already talked about him and his ultra-aggressive ways, um, don't know that he's looking for a head coaching opportunity don't know that he'd turn it down if it was offered he to just him. likes hurting quarterbacks like i think <laughs> I, that's his life's work i think he's living his best <laughs> life right now so maybe less likely to get poached but again if the giants defense plays up to expectation and they are going to have to make some improvements this year some of his assistants probably are going to be on those lists as well honestly there's a lot of names on this staff we could have gone over we, we narrowed
1: it down this year because we didn't want to endlessly talk about it, but uh, got to bring up Andre Patterson, one of the greatest defensive line coaches ever.
0: Still doing it four decades in. And having great success at it. Uh, 40 years of coaching experience, including 19 years in the NFL, so almost split down the middle. 20 in high school and college, um, and then 19 in the NFL. It's his second year as the Giants defensive line coach. Coach defensive line at both Western Washington, which is right up the road. Shout out to the Vikings, Wazoo, the Cougars, and Cornell. Always a good Cornell reference that I can't let go. <laughs> this is the one that gets me. So we're sitting uh, just off the Puget Sound, just south of Tacoma, and he was the defensive coordinator at Renton High School. So Chambers Bay to Renton, where's where's that? It's, it's about... 10 minutes from the VMAC, which is oh, really? the Seahawks training facility. Well, we're going to VMAC next week, I think, so <laughs> we'll, yep. we'll try and that's, stop by. that's where he was in the, uh, I believe it was uh, mid-90s. He wow. was the defensive coordinator at Renton, right up there. So, uh, very cool journey for Andre Patterson. And Jerome Henderson's the defensive backs coach, 17 years as an NFL coach, four with the Giants as their DB coach. So, again, another guy that was retained in the Dable transition. He was selected... Uh, Henderson was in the 91 draft by the Patriots played eight years in the NFL played in two Super Bowls so that's the defensive and special team side on the offensive side Shay Tierney the quarterback's coach First year working with Daniel Jones, Andy Bischoff is the tight ends coach. A um, lot of eyes on Bischoff to see if he can help Darren Waller get back to his previous heights. We know what Waller has as a player, um, but it's about integrating him as a contributor into this. I would say very disciplined offense. And then 2022 surprise contributor Daniel Bellinger, who I don't know if you've seen off season photos of Mr. Bellinger, but. He did some work yeah. in the weight room. He put on, I think, uh, 90 pounds of muscle <laughs> by the looks of it. <laughs> Straight muscle just hung off his frame. So, Bellinger, a very good piece, and add Waller to that. Again, gives you a really good tight end rotation, and Bischoff's going to be the guy tasked with uh, maximizing those two guys. Speaking of uh,
1: Coach Bischoff, by the way, and
0: kind of uh, not
1: like resurrecting Darren Waller, <laughs> but you know, getting him back to what we expect from him. Uh, do you know what the, the season projection for Darren Waller as an underdog if you're going to go, like, higher or lower? Take a guess.
0: Yards or touchdowns?
1: They have all. So let's, let's start with touchdowns.
0: Touchdowns. Five? Four and a half. Okay. Would you go over? Maybe it's a good line. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a tough one. Yards? 675.
1: 750.
0: Okay, just on balance, I think I might go under. Is he fully capable physically of going off and going over? He could, but I think they might be striving for a little more balance, so I might go under on that one. Receptions. <sighs> 50.
1: 60.5. Okay. So it's a generous generous grouping for him.
0: Yeah, I think. I think
1: they're kind of expecting him to be the top, top target there
0: yeah it feels like it and i'm it's not that i'm fading waller i i really like darren Waller's as a player and i i think it's a good situation for him to rebound to those previous heights that we've seen i just think it's going to be more balanced they might not be leaning on him as the alpha we'll have to see how it because they don't have to, yeah. And we'll have to see how it plays out. So no shade towards Waller. I really like the player. I just think the usage in this system might be a sh- a hair under that, a shade under that. Uh, I think the the value, and I mean if
1: I'm, I'm value hunting for this offense, season long yardage total for Isaiah Hodgins is mm. four twenty five. Oh, that feels low. It's definitely low. Yeah, he's gonna be a starting receiver. Yeah. And he's 6'4", good at jump balls. Like, yeah. they don't have a touchdown number for him yet, but 425 yards for the entire I would, year. I would jump the over on that. That's what, like 30 yards a not, game? Not a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm going over on Hodgins for sure. That one seems pretty easy. Uh, Saquon, for the record, is 7.5 rushing touchdowns for the season which, if he stays healthy, is
0: probably yes. Feels like I could go over on that, even with the distribution, because they will lean on him with this run game and being creative in the red zone, and he's good at it. And then rushing yards. What do you think the rushing yards is?
1: 1250. (laughs) 975.5. That just feels like they're building in the possibility of injury just based on his history. Because if he's healthy, there's zero chance. He's less than nine seventy five, like zero chance. So I again, if you believe Saquon's going to be healthy the entire year, jump on that because it's it's almost unfathomable for him to not be a thousand yard rusher if he's playing every game, or at least if he's playing fifteen games. Right? Doesn't even need to play seventeen; just play fifteen. Uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, this one's kind of interesting because, like, I I get it, like they're just going off the pass but I also feel like. The weapons necessitate more optimism than this. (laughs) Uh, Which, again, coming from me, that sounds crazy. (laughs) Might be a lot. But I do think that this is a little bit undervaluing what he might be able to give you this year. 32.50 for passing yards is what they're looking at. Uh, Four and a half rushing touchdowns also seems a little bit low. Uh, 18 and a half passing touchdowns. Uh, 575.5 rushing yards and eight and a half
0: interceptions. Any of those strike you as <laughs> odd? Not terribly. They all feel like pretty good lines. The yards was 3250. That one felt low. For, for passing me. yards, it feels like, again, if he stays healthy, and he's been pretty healthy as a quarterback, I think he could surpass that just like what we said about Saquon on the rushing yards pretty easily. In fact, I think he probably will. I could pretty easily see 35, 3,700 in line with this offense and the weapons they've assembled. So it feels like a little low, but it's not like, oh, jump on that low. Um the passing touchdowns just because of how effective this running game is and how many they're going to yeah, kind of how steal. they lean on it in the red it zone. It feels low, yeah. but not crazy low. Could he throw for twenty or twenty-one? Yeah, pretty easily. I think the line's eighteen. Okay, um, you know, none of this is getting me jumping out of my seat yet. Five seventy-five for rushing actually feels like a really good line. I'm like, should I go over or under? Which means it's a really good line. So. None of those numbers, and then the interception number was eight and a half, which also seems like just bang on, right? Yeah, I. I, like I the, hope if, he throw for for his development. I hope he throws even less than that because he is capable of. it. Yeah,
1: I just I feel like if we're if we're value hunting there, the the passing yards probably the best best way you are going to get that. Yeah. Uh, now, by the way, if if you either heavily disagree <laughs> with or agree with any of our takes on those you can go to underdog fantasy use promo code bootleg uh, they will match your deposit up to $100 so regardless of what you deposit up to that 100 whether it's 10, 20 or 100 they will double it and they will give you uh, a 100% deposit match that you can use on anything on the site whether it's the season long pickems, you know, whether you're doing pickems week by week every single sunday, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're doing Uh, best ball drafts for best ball mania which is 15 million dollars in prizes this year Uh, which also by the way um just side tangent on best (laughs) ball valuations if we're looking at the adps like for fantasy for all these guys all their receivers are like right next to each other but way far down the board Like, Darren Waller is going as TE7 right now. Daniel Jones is going to QB14, which, considering his rushing value, yeah, it makes sense. Saquon's RB6, like, all those make perfect sense. But for this receiving core, which is like nine guys deep at this point, their highest-drafted receiver is Hodgins at wide receiver 76. Then you got Paris Campbell at wide receiver 78, Jalen Hyatt at wide receiver 83, Darius Slayton at wide receiver 84. This feels kind of similar to the Texans, where everybody's like, okay, they have a lot of names, but we don't know which one is going to shake out and be the guy, so we're just not going to draft any of them. And I feel like pretty much every single Giants passing target other than Darren Waller is just not getting drafted right now because people can't figure out who the guy is.
0: If Underdog really loved me, and they do really love me, (laughs) And let me make a line. I would make a line for Darius Slayton being valued under Jalen Hyatt is wrong. At least as a rookie. I'm just like, will Darius Slayton finish with more yards than Jalen Hyatt this year? I will take it. Yes, he will. You know, it maybe it's
1: maybe it's just because of I I I, I know that Brian Dable loves speed, and I know Mm -hmm. he knows how to use speed. You look at how he deployed Isaiah McKenzie and and Diggs and everything in Buffalo, and the concepts that I know that he likes to run when he gets dudes that can run 4-4 or
0: better. I actually do think that Jalen Hyatt might not produce Slayton. He could. I hope he does. I mean, mostly for Joe Shane's sake and the fact that I was a Jalen Hyatt stan. But Darius Slayton has these starting we'll just call him what he is, number one receiver, even though he doesn't necessarily produce like a true alpha from the get-go, and Jalen Hyatt being number four at this point, saying he's going to outproduce. Is he going to get bigger chunks for his receptions? Hopefully that's why they drafted him. Yeah. <laughs> but is it going to be like five to one in terms of opportunities, in the, in the, at least in the beginning half of the season? Probably. <laughs> I will say this. If Jalen Hyatt is starting immediately, and and he's getting a
1: big target share immediately it's because they think he's really damn good yeah which is a win for the Giants because absolutely that's that's what they desperately need is yep. they they need a a single wide receiver that they can point <laughs>
0: to and say please go make a play for us yeah it'll be great if he does surpass those but I think that is um a little bit of rookie shine uh in terms of how people are picking hyatt Darius Slayton uh, under all three of the other wide receivers in the Giants feels a little.
1: I didn't Disrespectful. even. I, I I didn't even include Wandale Robinson in there. Yeah. Um. Let's see who else is on the depth chart. I remember it was ridiculous. Okay, so <laughs> I'll just read off like the top nine names here because there's just so many receivers. So it's Hodgins, Slayton, and Campbell as the starting three, right? Or at least projected starting three. Sure. You got Hyatt, Sterling Shepard, who's mm-hmm. still there. He's on the pup. Uh, and then Wandale as the second sh- line shift. If we're just Putting it in hockey. I was going to
0: say it, playing it like hockey.
1: Then you got Colin Johnson, you know, big six five Redwood uh, of a receiver. Jeff Smith, Jamison Crowder, and Cole Beasley, and then you also got Bryce Ford Wheaton, who is an undrafted free agent, um, who we we did not have draftable grade on, but also perfectly acknowledge that he is an athletic freak and and you know, should be in a camp at least just to see what he's got there. Um, you know, David Sills is still there. There's like 15 receivers here.
0: Mm-hmm. They're only going to keep five or six. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna put them on the field and let the GM sort them out, I guess, uh, in terms of who they think can really contribute. And then they're probably going to have three or four stashed on the practice squad, probably guys with special teams value, but I bet they keep one – project in terms of this is a guy we want to throw fade balls to next year uh, and see if they can't stash him because they certainly have the raw materials to do it. Uh, once again,
1: promo code bootleg over underdog fantasy. If, uh, if any of these... <laughs> ADPs for wide receiver seventy six
0: intrigue you. I know, great selling point. Yeah, any of these <laughs> Giants wide receivers number one through fifteen really tickle your fancy, or you just agree that we're both idiots. Head over.
1: Any uh, direct deposits, by the way, do do directly benefit the show. So yeah, right, you know, get, get yourself get, some free, free money. Get yourself some free money. Uh, all right, let's talk free agency. Um, I don't want to say addition by subtraction because that feels mean but at the same time there were some contracts that uh, the Giants have relieved themselves of this past offseason which I feel like have gotten them out of some significant salary binds Uh, especially you know looking at last offseason where they had no money Uh, And that was also part of the reason why we had no expectations for them. We're like, they're up against it and they already don't have good players. Uh, You know, they, they were finally able to get out from under some of those bad contracts that were weighing them down. And now they have a little
0: bit more wiggle room to work with and also better talent to work with. One of the reasons why the job that Joe Shane's done is so admirable is because if you go back to this podcast last year, we were saying, well, they're not going to make a ton of moves, even though they need to, because they can't. And they still came out and were really good. But lots of names moving on who have helped the Giants in the past. Um, Kenny Galladay, lots of Giants fans will argue that he didn't help a lot, uh, but he moves on. a lot of also, I'll say veteran additions, guys like Tony Jefferson and Landon Collins, who didn't play a lot for the Giants, but were added and in their most recent rounds. Landon Collins, of course, played quite a few downs for the Giants early in his career, but uh, as of late, he'd fallen off. They let him go. Fabian Moreau, Jalen Smith, again, did play quite a few Uh, quite a large percentage of the snaps, 55.3% of the snaps, but again, doesn't figure in with them bringing in new talent at linebacker. He's allowed to move on. John Feliciano, left guard. He goes to the 49ers. He did play 85% of the snaps, but again, they think they've got a plan to replace him. Richie James uh, was seemed like a favorite gadget player that really could have fit in Dable's scheme. He moves on; he'll get those opportunities with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So. He's getting a lot of camp hype already. By the way, he he's he's got to be excited. Yeah. Richie James is excited, and I think the Giants were probably a little bit sad to lose him. And then Julian Love, this is one of the greatest additions I think by the Seahawks, but the Giants will feel that loss almost ninety percent of the snaps, eighty-eight point nine. And Julian Love was really effective last year, so low-key kind of i think the most impactful name uh on that list is julian love the safety uh but certainly some other names that giants fans will be familiar with in terms of
1: who they brought back you know obviously saquon uh <laughs> signed his deal uh, a few days ago now um we were going to record this earlier in the week so happy that that we're recording that after that happened so we got some sort of Conclusion of that saga. Well, it's not a conclusion. It's more Closure, of a postponement. I guess <laughs> yeah. till, till till we do it again next off season. Um, yeah, I don't know what he's going to get next year, or if he's going to get tagged again next year. I I have no idea. I I hope he gets a long term deal of some sorts. You know, I hope that he stays healthy again this year and kind of proves that he can stay healthy and also balls out and puts up ridiculous numbers because I I genuinely want him to get paid. Um, but, you know, acknowledging the reality of the market right now, like it's tough out there for running backs. And I, I just, I don't think we're going to see another $16 million a year, mixed $16 million a year, excuse me. Uh, like, like CMC deal. I just, I don't see that. So, you know, he's getting what he can this year we'll see, we'll see what March holds, but. I don't know. Things aren't looking great for the running back market. Uh, also, Daniel Jones, uh, $40 million a year. Got big-ish money by modern quarterback standards. Uh, which, again, if we're looking at the structure of the deal, it's it's really more of like a, a one or two year. It's a we believe mostly. It's a we believe mostly. It's a, you know, if you are what we think you can be, then this is going to turn into something a hell of a lot more lucrative anyway. So who cares? you know? Uh, uh, and in the meantime, if you're producing like we think you can and we're paying 80% of the going rate rather than 100% of the going rate, that works for us. You know, you'll know, you make it up on the back end by making $60 million a year in a couple of years anyway. Uh, and then Dexter Lawrence, this was another biggie, $22.5 million for big decks. Um, in terms of like nose tackles that generate pressure he's literally in his own category that's right relative to every other nose in the league by a factor of five i was gonna say like seven or eight yeah like if you look at the amount of pressures he generates it's like three technique level pressures or more but from a guy who lines up at zero like it's it's actually outrageous how effective he is as a pass rusher and also as a run defender too, but like we're just we're not used to seeing somebody who's built like Vince Wilfork that can get you know pressure to the same level of uh, of like a, a Jeff Simmons, right? But he's it. Like he is he is a truly abnormal defensive
0: tackle, and locking him up long term was was imperative special player uh they also locked up jihad ward gave him another deal for one year darius slayton comes back gets six million which again is real mid money for the wide receiver market especially for your ostensibly your number one starting wide receiver and can't finish the list without talking about ox my guy O'Shane's menace the edge um you know, I liked him coming out. They give him more of a prove it deal, one point one million, but he has played what I think is hard and well for them. Gets to come back and do it again. Um, just a shout out to shout out to OX.
1: In terms of third party additions, again, they were not shy about spending this offseason because they actually could. <laughs> uh, Raheem Nunez Rochez, they brought in uh, from the Bucks at a reasonable $4 million deal. Mm-hmm. Always been a good run stopper with them. Uh, you know, it should continue that tradition in New York. And again, I think they'll take whatever help they can get for stopping the run this year. Because it was such a problem for them last year. <laughs> Even though, again, I don't think it was the defensive line's fault. I think it was more the linebacker's fault. But, you know, whatever. If you got a good run-stopping defensive tackle, can't hurt. Uh, Paris Campbell, they brought in for 4.7 from the Colts to probably be their wide receiver three. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, especially while they get some of the young guys going. But, right. you know, Paris is your wide receiver three at 4.7 given the current receiver
0: market it's the just enough contract it's yeah. not gonna keep them from sliding a rookie in if he starts playing well because oh well we gave paris all that money less than five million like play well for now try and keep your head above the rookies if you can't uh it's a good thing because our draft picks get to play and and we feel good about it right yeah. like it's not it's not too much it's not too little it's yeah. just it's just
1: fine uh bobby O'Karake. 10 million uh, which you know by linebacker standards is a pretty good chunk of change for sure. Um, you know he was considered by many to be one of the top linebackers in the market and he got paid like it. you know in terms of skill sets that he brings to the Giants, uh, first thing that comes to mind is coverage. you know he is one of the more instinctive zone defending uh, coverage linebackers uh, out there, at least young ones. Uh, Also, rangy against the run, you know, really good at block shedding, like kind of just a do it all young linebacker. But again, somebody who, uh, in particular, if we're talking about needing a linebacker who can cover, who can patrol the middle of the field, you know, who can, you know, get ball production, all that kind of stuff, like they didn't really have that,
0: and now they do. They've had a shortage of playmaking linebackers. They've had a lot of guys that were good at a role, uh, played within themselves and within the system, but weren't playmaking linebackers. And Okereke feels like he's a guy that has been both very productive, very solid, but feels poised to sort of crack that open for them and give them an element in their defense that they've been lacking. Uh, and they paid him like that. Also brought in Bobby McCain, safety from the commanders
1: for a pretty uh, reasonable, one point three million dollar number. Uh, Amani Oruwari, they brought in from the Lions for one point two million. Uh, Darren Waller, seventeen million. So again, you know, top end, uh, top end tight end money. Um, you know, from that trade with the Raiders, Aishon Robinson, five million from the Rams. So you know, Waller obviously the most expensive third party addition by any method, whether it's trade or free agency signing. But also, if Darren Waller is still Darren Waller, probably worth it. Because you got Cole Komet out here making 12.5,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where Darren Waller, at the the height of his powers, was basically two Cole Komets. So, you know, as long as he stays healthy and he's still just an
0: absolute seam ripper, yeah, $17 million for that. Totally go with it. And A'shawn... I really like his addition from the Rams because when you bring in the heavy package down by the goal line and you pack it in, he has always been a very solid run stopping in. He is a guy that can set that edge all by himself. You don't need to give him help. He hasn't been as dynamic with pass rush. Not why they brought him in at $5 million. It is, again, to say, look, we're in a limited area. We need to stop the run. We're going to take those lighter, faster edges off the field that we have and we are going to put you in and make sure to hold your ground and ashaun robinson can do that moving on to the draft now you know because they weren't done
1: adding talent after march they they still had april and they had a really really interesting draft uh wouldn't say it was like the strongest draft in the nfl definitely not the weakest like if i had to rank all these drafts i'd probably rank it our favorite number, 16. <laughs> That's the Giants' favorite number. But the first three picks in particular I thought were really, really strong. And, you know, for, for a typical draft, as long as half your guys hit, it's a successful draft, and I think there's a pretty good chance that their first three, maybe even first four picks, which is half of them, are probably going to hit. So, you know, I'd say this was a successful draft overall.
0: I'd go one better. I'd say their first four I really liked. And draft is funny because it is it happens sequentially over the course of three days and you kind of lose track of classes that are getting put together. And you go back and do a little bit of research every night. And, hey, what are they what are they building over there? What do they got? Oh, that team hasn't done so well. And, you know, when you looked at the Giants, you came back to the Giants. Round one, pick 24, cornerback Deontay Banks out of Maryland very strong start they needed a stud young corner I think he fits the bill he can play very well in Wink's system he reminds me a lot of a lot of guys that Wink coached when he was in Baltimore I I love it hand and glove love the athlete love the fit love the potential I thought it was a very good pick round two pick 57 he's still there center John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota we've talked about him a lot A lot of people predicted he might even go at the end of the first round. He's still there almost at the end of the second. Giants profit round three, pick 73, wide receiver Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. Big, tall, fast, explosive guy I was extremely high on because I thought he was more than that. That's mainly what he showed in the offense at Tennessee, but he also showed really good timing on slants, the ability to hands catch in the middle, take a hit going into the end zone. Didn't do it a lot, but it was there if you went looking, and I think his ceiling is a lot higher than a lot of people gave him credit for. He was very much labeled or pigeonholed as a one-trick kind of pony coming out. I thought he was more... Very glad they get him. And then stretching into that fourth pick, which was in the fifth round, pick 172, running back Eric Gray out of Oklahoma. I really like him as an all around back. I don't think he is a number one, but you need a good number two and number three back in the current NFL. I thought he was a very good get that far down. After that, it slides off. But again, you start looking at, you know, after day one pretty good after day two wow they've got a solid top three starting off day three okay I really like Eric Gray then they drop in around six but now we're talking about round six and round seven picks if this is your first quibble with a draft Really, really strong start for the Giants. Round six, pick 209. They get cornerback Trey Hawkins the third out of Old Dominion. Uh, and Then they drop into round seven. They have two picks, 243 and 254. At 243, they take Jordan Riley, the defensive tackle, out of Oregon. And then in round seven, a guy we saw, Javarius Owens, safety out of Houston, who is an absolute specimen, and he's going to be special team, dime safety, you know, dime backer, possibly he has that build. So you get a couple of wild cards, you know, out of round six and two round sevens, and you have a very strong first four picks overall. I thought it was a really nice draft for Joe Shane and his staff.
1: I'm right there with you on Banks. Uh, super, super physical, feisty <laughs> man cover corner. Uh, you know, I, my favorite corners are the ones where it's like, You know, if the ref was turning the other way, they'd probably just get into a fucking brawl with the receiver. (laughs) Like, that's that's my kind of guy. Like, I love the competitive ones. I love the ones that that don't back down because receivers in the NFL will try to push you around. Like, they're going to armbar you. Sure enough. They're going to push off. They're going to try to bully you because they're untouchable, right? And I like corners that say, no, I'm going to fight back and we'll see what the ref calls because they're not going to flag at every play. That's a bad TV product. <laughs> so, you know, it's the uh, Richard Sherman, you know, energy that I that I crave, and he's got that. Uh, John Michael Schmitz we talked about earlier, I think he's going to be it's, – it's a rare thing to be a 10-year starter in the NFL, but I think, like, out of all of these guys, he's got the best chance to do it. He's a phenomenal center prospect, should start sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, emphasis on the sooner yeah. and then probably keep that job for a long time and then one note on Jalen Hyatt um, you know I started out the draft process kind of just like not you did not like him <laughs> it's more so I just didn't understand it yeah right it's not that like like versus not like it's I just i didn't i didn't understand it because I was like this system doesn't translate to the NFL like the league doesn't run deep choice as much as they do Most of the league doesn't run deep choice at all like you know let alone like like that you know because it's it's kind of its own language in terms of how it's coached it's its own read it's not it's not like what you see progressions in the nfl right it's kind of its own concept uh and tennessee leaned into it a lot you know Baylor, uh, really, any anything in the the Bryles offensive ecosystem, lean into that concept a lot. That concept got RG three his Heisman. Truthfully, it did. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's 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 just so different that I was like, I don't know how to translate, you know, running a deep post essentially on air. Right, because the hashes in college are wider and there's so much freaking space and he's just running a deep post against leverage on air. Like it just looks like practice balls, right? And I was like, I don't I don't know what to do with this. This is not information that I can actually grade a prospect on because sure. it's not a realistic scenario in the NFL. Hashes are narrower, there's less space, they play stacks and bunches differently. Like it was just odd. And then eventually what I did was I, I hunted down every snap where I felt that there was translatable reps, which is against press man coverage. Mm-hmm. And there was not that many. Nope. You know, Small maybe sample like, size. I think it was like 20, like 24 reps across the entire year. So we're talking like two a game on average. But I watched all of them back to back to back. And I came away a lot more impressed in terms of release package, physicality, hand fighting, you know, all the stuff that NFL receivers have to do to get open against real coverage. Uh You know, all the when he's just the the rear man in a stack and he's running against leverage, like that's not that's not real, right? But beating press man coverage when you're on the line of scrimmage and it's one on one that is real. I can do something with that, and he passed that test again. Small sample size, but it was all I had to go on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was all I had to go on. But that's what made me a, a fan of Jalen Hyatt, and and you know, I, I it's the philosophy of I've seen him do it once, <laughs> it means he can do it again. So I do think that there's upside there. Um, you know, he went in the third round for a reason because there's a lot of NFL coaches that are like, I don't know what to do with that, but there's talent there's speed, there's explosiveness, and there's physicality. And I think that there is a decent shot that he gets a, a pretty good amount of chances
0: this year, especially with that speed, to show what he could do. I love the addition. And again, it is a small sample size, but it was there. You could see it. He is a hands catcher. He understands body control. He understands angles and leverage, even though he didn't have to use them on every route. On the routes where he did, he didn't did that did well. So I was a was a big fan of his. And I would like to see him get into the rotation. He's in the second string right now, but I think the Giants too are hoping, you know, to have a package of plays to ease him in with. But that again, he does well on those limited sample sizes and that they can move him into a bigger role because he has a tremendous physical skill set and more polish than I think he got credit for in the system at Tennessee. Looking at their UDFA
1: Hall, uh, not a not a whole lot of names to go over here. Uh, Habakkuk Baldonado, the edge from Pitt, is somebody who I think is a decent shot uh, at making the practice squad. Probably will make the 53, but I think could be a practice squad guy for them as like a developmental edge out of Pitt. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton, like I said, likely practice squad at best just because they have so many receivers. But he is really, really talented. Um I think that, that going to the practice squad would be good for him to develop because he's not ready, like at all, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But I recognize that his physical talent is so absurdly rare that he deserves a shot to one day get ready. And I think that you know being in the Giants system and coached up by them for however long
0: that takes is, is worth the chance. That's what UDFAs are for. Yeah. You take a roll of the dice on a very physically talented guy, guy with a rare size at the position, and say, can we polish off the rough edges? Baldonado's a fascinating guy, foreign-born player, was born in Italy, started as a soccer player, just doesn't move like other edges. Um, Looks a lot of times like a dancer or some other kind of athlete besides a football player, but was really effective and gave some tackles who again are used to rushers rushing the same way some problems because he doesn't move like other rushers so uh, i think you're gonna have to have a coach that thinks outside the box a little bit and understands him yes you're gonna have to add some more skills what i'll call inside the box but tremendous athlete with good size who just didn't play football until a little bit later in life but has a really good skills package and again Giants have been good at developing defensive line talent of all types. They're not one of those defensive lines that you know only picks guys of one size and one shape, so it's a fun landing spot for him. And that, my friends, brings us to our
1: last two segments of the night. Uh, all right, we got the report card, then we got ceiling and floor. Report card, if you remember, is four categories, front office, coaching, offensive talent, and defensive talent, and we're grading it on a uh, very – simple scale up down or even neutral however you want to call it and uh, we're basically grading you know where we we think those four categories have gotten to this offseason relative to the end of last year front office we're going up you know they they bit the contract bullet that they had to bite uh, and then they spent their money wisely uh this offseason. It, it wisely, in the sense that they locked down decks, they got some free agents we liked. They gave Daniel Jones money, but not like money that wasn't easy to deal with if things go south. Yeah. But also gives them flexibility to give him a substantial raise in two years if he earns it. So there's flexibility for the player and for them. Uh, and then you know the the Saquon thing, like. I don't know if you consider that a hiccup. I personally don't. I just think it's the nature of the business. I
0: think they're playing the market, and they played it well. They didn't overplay their hand and give him $16 million a year, which would have been laughing stock in the current market. They didn't alienate him and cause him to hold out for the whole season. They pretty much played that the way the market allows them to. It's sort of, you know, hate the game, not the player. Hate the running back market, not the Giants, for playing it that way.
1: Yeah uh coaching will go neutral they didn't lose anybody (laughs) they were pretty damn good last year and they're pretty damn good now so again neutral is not a negative that's just an acknowledgement that they were really damn good before and they're still really damn good uh offensive talent is up you're adding in a premium piece like darren waller you're adding john michael schmitz uh you know potentially getting contributions from hyatt their receiving core like we said is nine names deep now (laughs) so there's a bunch of different options there uh you know, tight ends we like, running backs we like. uh, You know, Andrew Thomas is still Andrew Thomas. By the way, he got locked down.
0: forgot to mention yeah. that. Um, so that sort of speaks to that front office up for me as well. You, you got Dex, you got Saquon, you got Daniel Jones, and then you lock down your tackle. That's, that's good work by the front yeah. office. And
1: Andrew Thomas earned that money, by the way. Yes, he did. He is improvement from early in his rookie year
0: to basically by the end of his second year, was jaw-dropping. Advocates for patience from teams not to make the determination too early in the first six or eight games. Did we get something? Maybe. Like, give him a second. And they gave him a second, and he continued to work, and he absolutely earned it. Also, I think I saw a uh, a stat, a note,
1: that he had like five offensive line coaches – in his first three years, which is, like, staggering to me. Not
0: great for a young player, typically, to have to learn all the different verbiage and techniques and just what people like and don't like. Hey, the last guy told me to do
1: this. I think it was Columbo was the first one, right? Yep. And Joe Judge fired him because Columbo was, like, trying to change Thomas's set in the middle of his rookie year and, like, changing, like, how he would fire out of his stance, and which, like... once something's committed to muscle memory, like don't don't mess with it. It's like messing with a batter's swing halfway through an MLB career. Like don't don't screw with it too much. He screwed with it. Thomas just couldn't couldn't yep. do what Colombo was teaching. So then Joe Judge started coaching him up himself, and that's when he started improving. Right? Because say what you want about Joe Judge, he actively helped fix Andrew Thomas. Right? And then they just kind of kept building on that. And now was it three years later or whatever? He's one of the premium left tackles in the league, so I just think that it's a lesson of, hey, you drafted this kid super high in the draft because he was really good at pass protecting. Yep. Let him pass protect the way he wants to pass protect. Settle in, find <laughs> a way,
0: and don't be too quick to pull out the hook. Uh oh, right, we're still in the report card segment. <laughs> That's so, right. Offense is up.
1: Uh, defensive talent. Also, up. You bring it in Robinson, Nunez Rochez, uh, you know, the rookies that we talked about, Deontay Banks. Like, there's more defensive talent here than last year as well. So, uh, overall, on the report card, it's up, neutral, up, and up. And this was a team that not only made the playoffs, but was knocking on the door of, of something even greater. I think it is perfectly reasonable, then, if we're looking at ceiling and floor to raise the ceiling up to 11 wins, which I know still seems low for some Giants fans, but we're being realistic here. Yep. like they are in a very tough division. <laughs> they're yes they're probably they are. gonna split <laughs> with everybody in the NFC East. that's three losses right there. You know, you got some other tough opponents on the schedule. like I think 11 wins with their current schedule is a perfectly admirable year they're still going to be in the playoffs they're going to be in the dance they're going to have their
0: shot in january and you go from there and should be a tougher out at that point if they have taken steps to fix their largest deficiencies and they have they brought in 19 million worth of run stopping talent to upgrade that you know 31st overall run defense as per epa 11 is a solid team that you already didn't want to face last year when they were overachieving. Now, if they're just sort of, we'll call it solidly achieving at 11, they're even tougher out. So I'm with you on the ceiling at 11. I'll match you there. My floor's eight. That's one of the smaller variances I've given for any team in this series so far, because Brian Dable has my respect in terms of the job he did last year with the you know, the groceries that were largely bought for him. If he managed to pull that result off, and we talked about it many times early in the season, they did it again. They did it again. They pulled off another one. He he's really got these guys playing for him. If he was able to do that with you know limited resources, and now he has more and a second year in the system. The idea of them winning less than eight games, kind of no matter what happens, just doesn't seem feasible. Yeah. It's just, it's not a,
1: not conscionable at this point. Um, So, yeah, ultimately, it's a playoff team. They're a solid, solid roster. I think that they have a better shot of, uh, you know, taking the body shots from Philly this year (laughs) than last year. I think they have more ability to respond explosively on offense this year than last year because it felt like, you know, once the floodwaters opened against Philly last year, they just didn't have a way to crawl out of that. Now I think they do. I think they do have, you know, some can openers on offense that that can, hey, if we need a 60-yard score right now, we can get it, (laughs) you know. So I think the prospects of this team are on the upswing, and it's it's only going to go higher from here. And if Daniel Jones ultimately becomes what they think he can be, this will be a super bowl contending team probably in a couple years it really does depend on what is daniel jones but the real evaluation starts now it's it's in this two year period where his contract is locked in the the two years after that are are not really no. but if he passes the test in this two years he's going to get his 60 million a year all these other young young players they've drafted are going to be in their primes and they're going to go on a run but it ultimately does come down to that that question again of what is daniel jones
0: and if he doesn't they're going to have built a very solid team around him a strong offensive line a bunch of offensive playmakers that they like within their system a defense that can hold its own or better And it will be a prime landing spot for whoever replaces Daniel Jones if he doesn't take that next step.
1: All right. Well, uh, unfortunately, I have to report to you, EJ. It's 12.02. We did not make it. I don't believe you. I don't see anything. (laughs) But uh, it's midnight. We got to go to bed. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Because we got to wake up tomorrow and do three more episodes. We got to finish off the NFC East. And then I got to fly back home. And then I'm coming back next week for afc east <laughs> do it all over again and then we're finally
0: done with this series i don't believe you
1: <laughs> and i can go to bed
0: uh i don't believe it's gonna happen and but... then it's
1: the nfl regular
0: season right <laughs> we're gonna blink and it's gonna be games that matter but and that's draft season <laughs> yeah but that's what we're all here for so hope you've enjoyed the content hope you enjoyed the positive or mostly positive look at a you know really interesting team in a really strong division uh we believe both of those things are true and we think their fortunes are looking up not only this year but for the future we think the giants are in good hands and if that's the only message you take away from this that's an important one and one you can really hang your hat on make
1: sure to come back for the rest of the nfc east we're doing cowboys or releasing Cowboys tomorrow from the time this gets released. Then we got the Eagles the day after that. We're doing division predictions on the Friday of this week, picking a division winner, which is not as easy as you would think. No. As well as all the other division awards. So we're picking division MVP, you know, rookies of the year, offensive, defensive player of the year, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then, like I said, we got AFC East next week. And then by the time AFC East comes out, we're – rolling into preseason and we're we're back at this thing again so uh if you guys have been watching every single episode for the last two ish <laughs> months we appreciate you good on you uh, we're in the home stretch we're almost there and uh all right ej let's go to sleep <laughs>